I'm Kevin Bachman. On this episode of Background Check Radio, a conversation with Tim Santoni of Santoni Investigations. We talk PBSA, accreditation, and what you can learn by being a part of our association. Stick around. Kevin, in terms of, you know, building and value in the, in the organization, one of the things that comes up from time to time is people that are evaluating PBSA accreditation. Share with us kind of your take on that, you know, your experience and kind of some some things that, that uh, maybe some people aren't thinking about when it comes to the PBSA accreditation process and, and getting credentialed. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's a great question. And, and really, when you and I started talking about this, I, I jumped at the opportunity to join, um, not only as a member of the BSCC, but as somebody, you know, with the gray hairs to prove it, who uh, worked in an industry prior to accreditation, who helped you know, redline and markup draft accreditation standards 15 years ago, um, who was very proud to be a member of the first class of accreditation in in 2010 and has now over the last dozen or so years really seen the program take off within the industry. So I wanted to kind of preface uh, comments to your question, Tim, um, with kind of my experience over the last 15 years with accreditation. Um, but, but I think I think accreditation is uh, not only from an industry perspective, a really, really important way for us as consumer reporting agencies to, to tell end users, to tell regulators, to tell legislators, um, listen, we're concerned about the same things you're concerned with. Uh, quality, accuracy, fair chance hiring. Um, nobody wants to just push slop and inaccuracies um, through our consumer reports across the desk of, of hiring managers that may or may not know how to interpret or or make effective hiring decisions with the information that they, they've had. You know, I, I think as an industry and consumer reporting agencies, really accredited or not, you know, we understand that there's a role we have to play in the process. Our end users aren't always going to be as dialed into it as we are, and we really have a, have an obligation, whether it's a regulatory obligation or just a a, a moral or a business sense, um, a feeling about the quality of the work that we do. And I really think that manifests itself through the PBSA um, accreditation program. Accreditation is not for the faint-hearted. You know, there are um, you know six or seven main sections. There are. 60 plus individual clauses that that require compliance but for an end user and then you know we, we can talk about some some more specifics around the program tim um it really demonstrates to companies uh, end users specifically that the partner they're choosing to work with is a partner that has chosen to do the hard work that has chosen to demonstrate and strive for conformity with really a set of standards and principles that the industry has coalesced around and said, yeah, this is what we think. This is this is what we're striving for. So to see at this point, 12 plus years into the program, you know, 120 or so CRAs that, that have embraced that and pursued accreditation has been really, really cool. Uh, in 2010, when we were the first accredited company, I think there were six to eight of us. Um, and I remember working on clauses right around the time my, my daughter was born. So that'll always be a period of my time where the birth of my, my eldest was associated with accreditation. Um, I was in a hospital room and just kind of waiting. And I asked my wife, hey, do you mind if I work on clause 4.2 while, while you're being induced and we're sitting here? Nothing's going to happen for like eight hours. And she's like, yeah, a-hole. 
uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, but it, but it's really cool to see what the program has become over the last um, 12 years. And, and now I've been fortunate enough to have been asked to serve on the BSCC. Last year I was chair. Um, and this is, you know, my fifth year on the team. And it's probably my most, uh, the accomplishment within the industry I'm most proud of professionally. Yeah. And, and I think you hit on a couple points there is that elevating the profession and, and helping with compliance and regulators. I think that's a battle that we'll continue to fight in the background screening industry, you know, for a long, long time. Um, when it comes to, you know, obviously this is an industry that's filled with litigation. Maybe talk a little bit about the, the accreditation and how that helps to mitigate or deal with, you know, potential litigation and potential, you know, compliance issues that a CRA might face. I, you know, there's, there's kind of two ways that, that I think about accreditation and especially if companies, you know, ask me for, for, um, help as they pursue accreditation. And the one thing I'm usually pretty clear on is, you know, first I don't trade off of the fact that I am a member of the BSEC. Um, and if you are looking to assemble a packet that you can present to the auditors or to PBSA staff, you know, what's your binder look like that you deliver as part of your process? I, I'm not your guy for that. Um, you know, both, I think from a, from a, a um, um, you know, you, like, you, you, just, you just wanna keep things separate, right? But also from a technical perspective, there's other people in the space that can help with that, that, that are better than me at that. From a philosophical standpoint, you know, like what what's a good way to think about um, uh, evaluating your 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 you know your your partners, credentialing your end users, credentialing your your providers, just a, you know the the sense of how we should think about this. Um, that's something that that I enjoy doing, not even necessarily as a consultant, but but as serving as a as a member of the BSCC. You know, I think specifically to your questions around litigation and and regulation, there's there's a number of clauses, and this is an insight as a member who's part of meetings closed doors. I mean, this is stuff that is you know certainly publicly available on the the PBSA website, and and if you read the clauses, there's expectations and obligations. You know. You should inform your end user that they have this responsibility. Um, you should do this to ensure that the information you put on a consumer report is accurate and compliant and up to date with the standards of the FCRA. So I, I think those are really important things when and if there are issues, whether it's a client complaint, a regulator knocks on a front door, a lawyer you know sends you something that we don't like, and any 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 CRA of significant size, I think is going to experience some of those things. It's nice to kind of look back on a set of standards, not from a get out of jail free card, but from a, hey, my peers kind of think the same way I do. And if if something happened to me, or if there's an issue, what would my counterparts in the space have done? What would my fellow accredited companies, what would they have done? And when you look at all of those standards, it's, it's, it's you know, somewhat comforting to say, okay, whatever outcome of a lawsuit or a regulatory action is going to play out as it plays out, of course, but um, you can look at it and say, yeah, my peers would have done the same thing, or here is my practice, here's my procedure, and it conforms with our industry standards. Um, I think that, that that can be comforting, um, and it, it could be effective in a particular lawsuit. I'm not a lawyer or a judge, we're just talking you know, on a podcast here, but you know, I, I do think it's nice to kind of have something to reference that dictates why you did what you did as a CRA. 
Sure, sure. It's a great point. So we talk about accreditation and kind of processes and procedures in our theme, and this is kind of building value in your CRA. You're helping to show your clients that you have procedures and processes that you're dedicated to having kind of, uh, you know, a, a documented, you know, deck that you're following, which is, which is really great. From a sales and marketing perspective and RFPs, you know, what have you seen as far as accreditation helping with regard to getting your hat into the game or getting at bats that you may not get otherwise if, you know, you didn't have the accreditation? Yeah, it's an awesome question. And I, I want to make sure, Tim, we come back to the a comment that you made twice today about how does accreditation help build value within your organization? Because that is a really, really key topic, I think, for us to, to chat on in a minute. Um, but specific to your question around sales and marketing opportunities. Um, <clears throat> In 2008, 2009, 2010, it was kind of you know really cool and I think certainly advantageous to be, hey, we're an accredited company. Um, you know, 99% of CRAs are not, we are, choose us accordingly, right? Um, I think that's a bit of a harder case to make now because if we look at the industry and you mentioned at the beginning my role with with iCubed Advisors and, and my partner Jason Morris. You know, we track about 400 companies in our space. We track company size, revenue size, geography, industry consolidation, and we make this information available to um, you know those in in the space that that might be interested. Research reports, analysis, etc. And the reason I say that leads into kind of the comment that that I can make. Um, what, what you could kind of tout 10 or 15 years ago is a lot harder now. Then, hey, you were just one of hundreds and you were accredited and they weren't. You know, I, can't, I, I think that's, that, that's a compelling pitch. Now it's harder because even though I might say, ah, there's 122 companies that are accredited, there's 400 in our industry. If you overlay the revenue and kind of the screening industry as, as, as a whole, most of the screening dollars in our space now are, 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 I don't know if you say performed, taken up by whatever, but like the screening dollars and the accredited companies are, you know, really kind of go hat in hand. Uh, at this point in 2023, there really aren't $300 million CRAs $150 million CRAs that are not accredited. Like that ship has sailed. 15 years ago, you could go get enterprise level clients, real nice pieces of business because the largest companies in the space had not yet gone through the process, but you did because maybe you were smaller, more nimble, you were more committed to it, you got there first. I think 15 years ago, that was an effective sales strategy. I don't think it is now. The flip side to your question, Tim, um, if I'm not an accredited company, like that, that worries me. And I don't say that as a BSCC member. I just say it as somebody who's been in the space for more than two decades. If you're not an accredited company and you're in the final three and it's a large enough account, you, you, whether you are or are not, it just seems riskier if you're on the other side of the table. So that's what I kind of think of when I think of the companies 15 years or 13 years into, into a program that are not accredited is it's not like, what are you waiting for? Because we know, like, it, it's a hard process. You might not have a bunch of team members to do it. It's six months of, of your life. Um, but it's it, it's a less compelling sales and marketing pitch, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's a good point. I think it's one of those things where it's a, it used to be 
Good to have. Now it's a must have. And we're seeing, I'm hearing from people that a lot of clients with their audit and review processes, as you guys have referenced in these slower times, people have more times to review their partners. And they're saying, hey, uh, we love you as our screening partners, your CRA, but are you accredited? And they're saying, oh, no, uh, you know, but we'll get that. And then they're scrambling to try and get it in place to retain that business where, again, to your point, if you're in the final three or you want to have those big accounts, it's kind of a must have, right? It's, it's, they're gonna, that's a box to check and that you're, if you want to be in the talk, it's, it's necessary. Yeah. And I think that's a great tie in to your comments earlier about building value. Um, I think accreditation helps you do two things. You know, the first is a number of things that we've already talked about in the last 10 or 15 minutes. The second is you're just, I believe, a better, stronger company because of it. Not because you've created a process for Clause 3.7, but because you've looked at your company and you've said, and it just, it just helps you build a stronger organization. You know, I mentioned the the role that um, we played. You know, pre PBSA before it was PBSA, pre accreditation before it was accreditation, and a lot of behind the scenes you know, input and, and leadership around creating the landscape that we look at today, right? How did this help our organization 15 years ago prior to accreditation? We spent like a year or two with standards that really didn't exist other than in draft format. And we were like, hey, this is coming. Like, why, why don't we look to retool our organization in conjunction with these ideas? Because a lot of these are good ideas. This is a nice way to build a company. Let's just start doing this now. So to me, that's the biggest point around uh, accreditation. Yes, it helps you in the room and it gives you an additional thing to market your business at, but also helps you build a a better organization. I will briefly speak out of both sides of my mouth for those who might listen to this that are not accredited. I'm not saying your company isn't good or you don't in spirit conform with the standards. I hear that all the time and I and I kind of believe it like, hey, we're not accredited, but we kind of operate in conjunction with. We just, for whatever reason, don't have not won't go through the process. Like I, I believe it, um, but until you really do it, and I mentioned six months, you know, process. Some it's longer, some it's shorter. It depends on who and where you kind of allocate your staff and your time during the process, but you, you are a better, you, you're, you're just a better business, I believe, when you're accredited because of what you had to do to get it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a way to implement and formalize processes internally, how you research, how you do verifications. Uh, I think that one thing that people don't really think about are your vendors or people that are touching your infrastructure, you know, vetting your vendors. I know that's a piece of the accreditation process, which is not just your direct employees, but who you're outsourcing to and what are they following? Are they accredited? Um, you know, and, and giving that formal, it's creating business processes from everything from how you hire and screen people to work in your business, to your IT infrastructure, to how you protect data, right? It's the whole, it's not just this thing that says, yeah, we're a good background screener. It's actually kind of more of a business credentialing or business certification process that goes through the whole organization. Yeah. Tim, can, can, can I, um, flip the tables a bit, you know, sure. and ask you what, what's your story? What's your accreditation story? Yeah. So again, this is one of those things for, for us and our business, which is, Hey, look, we're getting to the point where we have the team and the people in place and we've, we've implemented a lot of different pieces. And in spirit, we want to think that we're following the, these processes and procedures that are in accordance with 
what PBSA would view in the accreditation process, but we're kind of doing um, the dive of, of getting, working with an outside consultant to, to get that process started. Because again, in spirit, we may think we're doing it, but we need to have it documented in a process. And, and it goes back to the topic of this conversation, which is building value in the business, right? So when you want to build value in your business, you need people. That's why someone like an IQ Advisors can bring in talented people that know these things, salespeople, operations, researchers, you know, that kind of stuff. But if you want to build value, create value and potentially sell or be acquired, what you did it, what do they come through? They want to know your processes and procedures and all that stuff. So to me, the accreditation is a, is a, is a if you're going to build value, that's like the foundational element to show you actually have processes to both the PBSA, to your team internally, and to anyone that may be evaluating the business, you know, on the sales side or acquisition or merger or whatever it is. Um, and to me, it's also a way to protect yourself long-term as we are facing more regulation and compliance. The audits are more frequent. The vendors want more information. They want more audits, more data, how you do things. Clients want the same thing. So to me, it's like one of those things where, yeah, we, we must do this in our business to stay relevant, um, right? I feel like we're a little bit behind actually. So that's how I see it. And again, it's building value. And if you don't have the people, there are resources within PBSA and otherwise that can help with that. Um, whether you know yourself or, or Derek Hinton at CRA Zoom, the, the resources there and the time and the cost. As I researched it, I was like, this is not as as difficult as it may seem uh, when you break it all down. So that's kind of where I stand on it at this point. I, I think that's great feedback. And you know, one one thing that I didn't offer yet is kind of a you know thoughts on on what's like what's day two look like post accreditation award, right? Um, <laughs> Not, not only from a sales and marketing standpoint, but from just a, okay, we did this. Now we're a better, tighter, more successful shop. Um, I think business conditions improve a lot, whether it's reduced cost, increased profit, new sales marketing activity, et cetera. You know, none of this is going to be a silver bullet for your organization, but, and I, I love the way you're, 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 you're framing the conversation, Tim, around, you know, building blocks and, and, and a foundation. Um, your organization will be better. It will be more profitable. You will have lower costs. You're going to identify where you're spinning your wheels and just have for seven years. And now it's time to do something different or new. Like it, it forces you in a very good way to kind of make those real difficult decisions, um, with, within your business. Sometimes it's a process, you know, it's something your a client asks for that either you can't or don't want to do anymore. Maybe now you have the courage to say no. Doesn't mean you're a coward because you haven't said it yet. But you know, before it might have just been, do I want to do it? Do I not want to do it? And what happens if they don't like the answer? You go through the process, and now it's like, well, maybe I can't because I got a standard here, and I have to conform to the standard. And that's a different kind of conversation with a client because now the conversation isn't just I don't want to do it. Now the conversation is, hey, we have this industry process, these industry standards, and what you're asking me for doesn't really conform to it, but. The reason we're having this conversation now is I want to uphold our industry standards and that ultimately protects you. Pretty please, can I stop doing this thing now? You know, yes. that, that that that's that's a whole different conversation. You know, now you're now you're trying to do something good for a customer by taking something away, right? It seems counterintuitive, but you change the the, the angle of of that just a little bit and and the outcomes I think are are a lot different and also just better for you as a company. 
Yeah, and that's a great point. I think that what we're seeing is, is as we attract talent from inside the industry that has a lot of experience and they've worked at other accredited uh, CRAs, they understand these things and they point those things out. So this client's asking for this, but this is really not something that we should do. Well, why? Well, not because we don't want to, but if you have some reason from a, a compliance accreditation process, it's much easier to say no. It's really easy as a business owner to say, we're going to customize this. We'll bend a corner. They're a really good client. We'll do this for them. But the long-term ramifications are that it creates other issues that are unintended, right? And so I think that you've know you, you you've got to look at those things and be able to say no and, and prove your case. And it also strengthens the relationship because you're saying, we're doing this to protect you, our end clients, to protect the relationship. And that gives you a really good leg to stand on. They're like, wow, these guys really know their stuff. This is not coming from a point of we can't do it or don't want to do it or, you know, I don't have the ability to do it. It's literally a compliance risk. And so that that definitely is a great point. Tim, it, it reminded me of a good practical um, outcome, kind of an unintended outcome, but I'm, I'm happy to, to share the story. Um and and I, I think it's 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 real good insight into what can happen for not only an individual company but buyer behavior, seller behavior. Now that there's a set of standards, you know, um, and and again, it's it's a it's not a recent story; it's a 15 year story. But I think it's very illustrative of what can kind of happen when you have this this set of standards. Um, <clears throat> you know, selling reports using contemporary as notice excuse me, contemporaneous notice. I say that word 50 times a week. I don't know why I missed it right there. Uh, sell, selling, selling reports, utilizing contemporaneous notice um, w- was, was a business strategy 15 years ago. Here's the raw data. And I used to call it the maybe, maybe, maybe not letter. Here's the raw data, end user. And I'm just gonna send the, the applicant, the consumer, uh, maybe it's you, maybe it's not you. Here's the report. Call me if you have a problem. Like that was an effective bit. Like that was a, a business strategy. So meanwhile, in the industry, you have people that are really living in the world that we live in now, right? We're conforming with the FCRA. Now, contemporaneous notice is FCRA compliant when you send the letter, et cetera. But you, you know, our, our audience is sophisticated enough to know what I, what I mean when I distinguish between the two, right? You have complete accurate up to date, essentially the world that we live in right now with CRAs. But back then you had both worlds. And if you're trying to sell the world that we're living in right now back then, what are you getting hit upside the head with? Well, this guy can do it cheaper. This guy can do it faster. But like that, those were really significant headwinds for organizations that practiced what we do now. We have accreditation program, some buyer behavior changes, you know, essentially like contemporaneous notice as a de facto business strategy to offer lower cost, faster turnaround times has really, really fallen by the wayside relative to where we were 15 years ago. That benefits the industry. Is contemporaneous notice with the letter FCRA compliant? I am not a lawyer, but I've heard lawyers say, yeah. Is it good for anybody? And I'm not offering an opinion as a member of the PSCC. I'm offering an opinion. Somebody's done this for 20 some years. No, I don't think it is. I think it's garbage. Like it shouldn't be what you're selling. It's not consumer friendly. It's not end user friendly. It doesn't make us feel good as CRAs. 
I'm very glad that that is not a significant sales and marketing strategy now. I'd like to think that the industry's accreditation program has had something to do with that. That's a great point. Kevin, can you, we talked about a little bit before we got, got on non-traditional CRAs that, with the accreditation process. I know you wanted to hit on that. So maybe give us a few minutes of that, uh, uh, take on that. Yeah, there, there's a couple things in the industry that I get really like disproportionately excited about. One of them is seeing end users at PBSA or end users, you know, involved in committee work and just kind of living in our ecosystem. Uh, a couple of them come to mind, Boeing, Eli Lilly, BlackRock, you know, I've had the, I've had the privilege of working with them as, as a provider, but also networking with them through industry volunteer efforts, uh, through organizations I think of them just like, I really like that they care enough and are committed enough to be part of this um, in order to help support the business. That's one of the things. Completely not related to your question, but it, but you know, it, your question makes me think of these two things at the same time. That's the first. The second is companies for whom uh, providing consumer reports, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, is not really the core element of their business. They do other things. Yes, they do this, but the CRA stuff, the employment screening stuff, is not. Um, is, is, is not 100% of what they do as a business, but they do some of it, they're committed to it, and they wanna play just like we do, um, that do this every day. Paycom comes to mind, JJ Keller comes to mind, Argyle comes to mind. Um, Argyle and, and JJ Keller, you know, like, you know, on the, on the provider side, on the, the verification side, you know, not all 10 products that people think of when they think of the consumer reports, but things that are really, really important, um, credentialing, employment verifications, um, especially, and I'll, I'll, I'll go on a, a brief tangent for Argyle and I, I work with Argyle as an advisor. So I just kind of know this because it's in my head. Um, uh, but, but it applies to the other examples that I've, I've just mentioned here. Um, you know, we think about new opportunities, different opportunities. How do we get data? How do we get information? How do we just serve our clients uh, better, faster, cheaper for them, more profitable for us than, than we have in the past? So as our industry kind of evolves and old ways of doing things don't go away forever, but new things come in and there's adoption and there's utility in, in many cases. Um, you know, it's it's one thing for a couple of the providers that I have I've just mentioned, a couple of the really non-traditional CRAs that I just mentioned. It's one thing for them to say, okay, hey, I do this too. Are you interested? Client, possible customer, sales lead that I got in my inbox? Um, yeah, they may or they not be. But when you can also bring along that accreditation seal of approval, like I think that's a really good conversation starter because um, it, it, it can reduce, in my opinion, for some of the... the um, the non-traditional companies that I mentioned, it it kind of reduces that that fear, that uncertainty, that doubt. It's something different, but that's a little scary. Oh wait, you're part of this, you know, standard and association, and you're committed to to rules and processes. Okay, that's that's a really good thing. So, you know, I'm 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 proud of, like I said, the CR or the, the end users that want to be part of this um, and want to be involved in our industry, and I'm proud of kind of the non-traditional day-to-day CRAs that that also want to be part of this. I'm I'm very excited. Thank you for the opportunity for me to kind of riff about them for a little bit because that's that's kind of a cool part of our space that doesn't always get a lot of attention. 
Yeah, and I think, Kevin, that you've talked about a lot on your podcast and on the different things you've talked about, which is getting the involvement of everyone in the industry is really important. I think you do a really good job of that, which is involve the end users in these issues so that they can help with that. Involve these other folks, the, the non-traditional CRAs, the, the folks that are in the, the kind of the ecosystem of, of the CRA world, because we need all of them, right? And the, the, the stronger we are all as a whole, it helps with everyone in terms of you know legislation, compliance, uh, the sales process, and there's less, you know, I, I, I just less confusion, if you will. And again, increasing the, the elevating the profession. And, and I think that, you know, you give some really good examples of how to involve clients in these issues when, hey, there's a delay because of this, this, and this, but this is how you can help. Here's the information you need to know, get involved, help us out, you know, and, and really making them part of the solution when really, um, they can make an impact if they're educated well and spoken to well, and you do a really good job of that. And I appreciate that. Yeah, it's it, and it's it's also cool, you know, over a 15, 20 year period to kind of see who is, was, isn't, is about to kind of going to be involved with the association on a volunteer level. Um, who's bet whose business benefits, um, and there are many for whom the business benefits, uh, and then there's which companies. Um, are giving because it's just a good thing to do and it's the right thing to do and maybe they benefit financially and maybe they don't. Um, so, you know, it's, it's I, I've, I've long said that you get out of your involvement with PBSA far more than you put in. Um, and that's not always a dollars and cents question. You know, that's, that's a, um, you know, an, an experience and an expertise, a, a, um, um, you're, you're just a better professional because of it. And I think that concept applies to small companies and large companies. I, I've long said that, you know, professionally, it, 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 it's an accelerant. Um, I, I like to think I'm a better professional and contributor to the space because I've been involved with PBSA since inception. Um, first with the Industry Practices Committee, co-chairing the Litigation Avoidance Committee with Pam Nevada, serving on the BSCC. Now there's just always opportunities. Um, small companies, uh, organizations, four, six, 15 people. You don't always have a ton of people inside your business to look to for ideas. Um, where can you get them? You know, there's other four, six, 15 person organizations <laughs> that have volunteered. It's a good way to meet people. Uh, then at the that at the top end, you have organizations that, that I have a lot of respect for because of the firepower that they've made available to the association. Higher Right is one of them. Uh, Chris Lemons, their chief compliance officer, the work he's done on government relations over the years. Uh, um, Jamie Pelchat over there co-chairs the um, Industry Practices Committee. Alonzo Martinez is a is a counsel for them, and he's on the BSCC. And you know, like organization like that, like they're going to do just fine. You know, they don't necessarily need PBSA to grow their business, but PBSA is better because of people like them that volunteer. So small company, large company, lower level person, done this for 30 years. Like there's always something you can give and a lot more you're going to get out of your involvement with the association. Definitely. I found that very welcoming, a lot of ton of value. Kevin, we're getting, well, this is a great conversation and really hit on a lot of key points. Before I let you go, maybe um, you, you've hit on a few, few things that you're doing now with iCubed Advisors in terms of industry, in terms of valuation, reporting, and benchmarking, and tons of consulting and ex expert witness work. But, you know, to put a wrap on it, you know, in terms of building 
value in the organization and building a team, you know, share what, what it is that you're focused on these days before we let you go. Yeah, a little little plug opportunity, which for our audience I did not ask for as a condition of, of doing this. I I'd turn on a microphone and talk for two hours if anybody wanted to listen to me. No, but th- thanks, Tim. Um, it, it, like I mentioned, the last you know five six years, uh, I've been working as an advisor uh, outside of a CRA, which not by intention, but really kind of makes me, Jason, others that we work with, it makes us Switzerland. Um, we're, we're, we're not inside of a company. We're not competitors. But we've done this long enough that we not only, I, I think, have a real good view of the space. We've also made a lot of the mistakes 5, 10, 15 years ago. So usually it's just cheaper and faster to, to partner with somebody, you know, who knows where the landmines are. Um, so you don't make them yourself and waste your own time and money and, and, and energy. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we really like and do a lot these days around industry analysis, research reports, um, you know, like we're, we're, where, where's everybody concentrating their marketing efforts, for example? Where's nobody concentrating their marketing efforts, for example? I'll give you a, a good example. Nobody's really talking about their accreditation from a marketing standpoint. I think that's a huge opportunity that's missed. You know, everybody might be talking about, oh, we're fast and we're accurate. And is that table stakes? Is that somewhere you want to put your marketing dollars and energy or do end users just expect that? And if they do, maybe you market on something else, right? Analysis like that. I got a list of 400 companies and like what they choose, what are their like top three marketing themes and what aren't. Um, so just stuff like that, you know, views of the industry. Um, we like to do a lot of um, recruiting, you know, just how do you help companies find and attract better people, especially in a remote work environment? Um you know, you can and should really, and it sounds cold hearted, you can and should be looking to upgrade your team. And sometimes that means separating from somebody else. It doesn't mean you're ruining their life. They might have the next best great opportunity for them. And you separating lets them go do that. Somebody I thought of this morning, like a million dollar realtor that we used to work with, doesn't work with us anymore. But like, his life is awesome and I'm really, really happy for him. So that's kind of stuff that, that we like doing from a, from a recruiting standpoint. And then there, there's a lot of M&A activity in the space. I call it, you know, bachelor to grandfather over 30 years. People have started with a law enforcement or a criminal justice background. It's 30 years later. A lot of private equity money is coming into our space. They want to go sit on the beach and bounce the grandkids off their knees and they're looking to sell their business. Like, that's fun. Those are really good conversations I have. You get to reward somebody for a lifetime of work and it helps another company grow if they do the acquisition. So those are kind of the things we're we're thinking about. Um, And thanks for, you know, giving me 90 seconds or so to, to talk about it. No problem, Kevin. And again, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your time and valuable insight. Please do check out Kevin and Background Check Radio Podcast. Also tune into iCube Advisors that are constantly coming out with LinkedIn, uh, you know, kind of live cast uh, conversations, industry reports on PBSA annual and mid-year conferences, industry updates, uh, economic forecasts, and sharing tons and tons of valuable data to the industry. So thank you so much. Again, this is Background Screening Tips and Tech. And Kevin, thanks for coming on today with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Tim.